Hello, everyone. Welcome along to the Event Industry News podcast. My name's James Dixon, and a very good morning, afternoon, or evening to all of our podcast followers, whenever or wherever you're tuning into this particular episode from. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage um hello to everybody hello to all our podcast followers and uh, a very warm welcome to a first-time guest to the podcast everybody say hello to lauren Lytle. lauren thanks very much for joining us thank you for having me lauren is the head of technical operations at event genius i suppose the first thing that i should ask lauren and this is not just me you know, ignorantly assuming that because you have a, a different accent to me that you're going to be somewhere else in the world. But where are you joining us from today? Um, well, I'm currently in Leeds. Um, okay. I moved here for this position um, in February. And previous to that, I was based out of Austin, Texas. Fantastic. We're, we're, we're lucky to have you over here. Thank you. Um, as I said, Lauren is the head of technical operations at Event Genius, um, and it's a name that, that some of our podcast f uh, followers may be familiar with and may have come across. It's some that others may be unfamiliar with. So, um, a good start point before we really look at today's topic and what we're going to be talking about with Lauren is to is to ask who are Event uh, Genius, Lauren. So, Event Genius are an event technology company. Um, we specialize in. RFID and cashless payments, um, as well as access control. Yeah. We also have a ticketing arm called Ticket Arena. Um, so all of those things work pretty seamlessly together as you know, we just try and be on the cutting edge of all technology as it relates to events. And um, with that sort of in, in some sort of context there and, and looking at what Event Genius do, um, Lauren's on the show today to, to talk about RFID and, and the future of RFID at festivals and events. Now, RFID is something that has cropped up as a subject on this show for uh, a number of years now, and on several occasions we've, we've spoken about it. And I suppose going back to the early days of the Event Industry News podcast, we were looking at RFID as something that was starting to make its way into the industry and becoming a bit more prevalent. And I suppose it's fair to say that perhaps three years down the line from, from some of those episodes where we were looking at how RFID was making an impact in the industry, we're at a point where it has made an impact in the industry. It has become a very, very big part of, um, of the operations of a, of a number of different sectors within the industry, not just um, at festivals, but at things like business conferences, at trade shows, um, at experiential events. Um, and I suppose most of our followers will have had some experience of either utilizing it at their events or using it themselves as an attendee at their events. Um, when you guys are looking at the future of RFID at festivals and events, Lauren, um, why is that something that, that you have, um, have, have raised as a topic? Yeah, so uh, my background is, is from the States, obviously. I did um, manage both ticketing and RFID for 50 plus festivals in the States. And it was always my ambition to move internationally and move abroad and, and kind of expand that knowledge and spread that knowledge because I think we can all agree that it might not have the foothold that it has in America in the UK. And, sure. and it, you know, it's, it's utilized more abroad, but the UK specifically. So um, I, I, I just think that there is so much opportunity for RFID, both when it comes to cashless payments, obviously, access mm -hmm. control, and specifically brand activation. Yeah, um, that's something that we 
I, I've used it before when I was working with festivals in the States where you're able to kind of offset the cost of, of maybe something that you're scared of paying too much for, for RFID by selling it to some sponsors who then can, can utilize it in a new way and gather more followers and gather more uh, brand recognition. So I, I just think there's endless opportunities for it. I'm so excited to, it's something that really excites me and I see, I see it growing in so many different ways and, and I just want to be a part of that. Um, it might be a bit of a strange question I'm about to ask, but uh, hopefully, hopefully there's some semblance of sense to it by the time I get to sure. the end. That is, um, I've started in the last 12 months to use um, Apple Pay quite regularly. I, yeah. and, I've, and, it's, and it's become something that's become very, very normal to me. That when it first came about, people thought maybe as a bit of a gimmick or they weren't quite sure of the security of it. You know, they would have certain reservations but now you see more and more people doing it. And not just with the, with the Apple smartphones, with any of the smartphones out there with contactless payment. Um, now, with that in mind, are we at a, a point now perhaps where utilizing RFID and contactless um, devices or, or passes or wristbands, whatever they may be at events, is now something that is a little bit more, um, not just accessible to all, audiences but actually uh, something that they accept a little bit more freely than they might have done three four years ago when we were having our earlier discussions yes absolutely I, I think it's all about as these new technologies roll out I think it's all about training and Apple Pay and contactless I think has done a great you know part of the job for us with RFID mm -hmm. to get people comfortable with the idea of paying with something other than this credit card that they're carrying around or cash sure um, and you know, one of the biggest benefits, obviously, of RFID in the in the payment category is that it provides it allows the payment system to operate offline. And with you know Apple Pay and contactless, you still require a network. So part of it, it's really pushed us forward, I think, in in getting people more comfortable with the idea of using RFID for payments. Now, that's an interesting point that you raised there about the, the, the connectivity and the networking side of things that, as you rightly point out, with an RFID system, if you were to deploy that at an event as, as a means of contactless payment or cashless payment, um, you don't necessarily need uh, a cellular network or a Wi-Fi network or any sort of temporary network infrastructure there, which you would. And so because people are comfortable with paying contactlessly and using a device to do that, um, this is actually negating the need to, to, to rely on those networks, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's one of the biggest um, upsides of it. Previously, I've used uh, open loop cashless systems. In the States, we don't really have contactless. We have Apple Pay, obviously, but there's no tap um, yeah. tap yet. So um, sites are fully networked and it's open loop cashless where transactions go through live with your wristband that stores a token that then uh, activates the payment directly from your debit card. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the benefits of doing it over here and having closed loop be so much more prevalent is that lack of need for a network. You could fully operate a payment system on site with nothing. So I, I've really grown to appreciate that and, and enjoyed seeing that deployed on different festival sites. That, that, that's interesting that, that uh, at the start of the episode, you said that the RFID and its use at, at festivals and events and as a means of contactless uh, or cashless payment, uh, access control into, into different areas, whatever it may be, ha has definitely been used heavier in the, in the US for events. 
but we're actually maybe a little bit further ahead when it comes to the acceptance of, of certain types of contactless payment. So in some respects, actually, we're fully geared up mentally to deal with this, but we haven't maybe embraced it as much as we could have done. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I think, you know, the UK is a small industry and it is, or it's, it's, you know, three UKs fit in the size of Texas. So (laughs) everybody, everybody is close and people have seen failures of RFID in the past. And I think it makes people a little bit skittish, honestly. And, um, and I just think it's about changing the perception and, and really pushing it forward and showing the benefits. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, when the one question that I must ask, and it might be a bit of a bore to some people out there, is 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 this is the issue of data? Uh, and we went through, you know, a month or so ago, we went through uh, quite a, a major change in regulation um, in in the EU um, yes. that, that includes us for the time being. Um, and when we first identified RFID, and when we first looked into the actual um, logistics of how it works, it was made very clear by a number of different people on this show as well that there's no data itself held on an RFID chip. It's simply a, a, a means of, of addressing you know, a unique point. So the RFID chip is unique to you know, data held somewhere else completely. That said, the chip still has to reference data of some description. Um, did those changes in... in, in in, in law a month or so ago actually um, affect how the process of RFID works? You know, it really didn't for us, um, which, you know, I'm thankful for. I know everybody <laughs> struggling with GDPR on a regular basis, um, but it, you know, it really didn't impact us because like you said, that information is held separately and what is written to the chip is non-identifying information. So sure. um, we are, you know, because it is an offline cashless system and you are actually writing to the chip, but it's just the transactional information and you know the plus and the minuses of, of the cash that is represented on that chip. Sure. When it um, going back to the work that you're doing with Event Genius and and um, I suppose the promotion of this type of technology and 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 the desire to to see it embraced more heavily and utilised more heavily within within the UK industry, um, how? Uh, I suppose difficult is it to, 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 to balance the developing of the technology as a company, but also being able to actually go out there and I suppose sell the services and, and be able to prove to people that it's worthwhile investing in this type of thing. Now, presumably you come over with a lot of reference examples and a lot of case studies and a lot of means to be able to reference stuff that you've done in previous roles to say, look, here's how other events have made it work. Are you, are you using some of that experience at the moment to actually you know, support the, the tech work that's been done at Event Genius as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think that I got very lucky in having a very, um, very niche experience with RFID and, um, and I've seen it utilized in a lot of ways and it's absolutely informing how the product is moving forward for us um, Mm -hmm. here in the UK. Um, but you know, different promoters have different needs and, and, Overall, though, they just want to increase spend and they want to make sure that people are having the best possible festival experience and we're making it as easy as possible. So sure. I, I think that's one of the, the benefits, you know, is, is the ease of use. And, and we're also increasing spend per head uh, 10 to 25 percent at events. So it, the, the money and the numbers speak for themselves. And that makes the sales process certainly easier. Um, th- just to, I suppose to raise a, a, what might be considered devil's advocate 
you know point is that you mentioned increased spend there at events mm-hmm. um and, and i've no doubt at all that this is due to to how easy the system is to use you know and and you can presumably serve people quicker so if the if the, you take the bar scenario at a festival if the bar is cashless you're not it, you can serve people quicker because you're not having to deal in cash and give people their change back and and all the rest right. of it um so you can serve people quicker the process of buying a drink is quicker and easier for the people buying those drinks or the food or whatever it may be so no doubt both of those things contribute to the increased spend however has there been any any sort of negativity at all from audiences that have actually looked at having spent i don't know 50 70 100 dollars more at us events and thought actually it's costing me a lot more money to go to this event now because it's so easy to spend well yeah i mean i think that's one of the differences with the open loop versus closed loop scenario the closed loop uh process allows you to set yourself sort of a budget, Um, but it does, it does set aside that money for you to spend. So people do end up spending more because they need to, they want to spend everything that's on their wristband. Um, With the open loop system, I I think that that that's encountered more people just going up, tapping their wristbands and, and walking away and, and thinking, oh, you know, I didn't have that many drinks today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that that's more prevalent with the open loop system, um, but not. I don't. I don't think it deters people from using it. I think at the end of the day, it really is the ease of use that they're focused on. What's easy? If somebody said to you, well, if you were dealing with an organizer that said, explain to me the difference between an open loop and a closed loop system, or why that's affecting people's spend, maybe, and why people can set budgets with one system but they can't with another, and how would you how would you explain that easily to an event organizer? Sure. So open loop is it's a direct connection to the uh, consumer's bank account, essentially. They're transacting as if their wristband or RFID card, whatever it is, is their you know normal method of NFT payment, be it Apple Pay, be it tapping. So there is, for American, uh, where it's used in America, they've never had the concept of tap before. So just the ease of being able to tap your wristband means that you are going to end up spending more. You're not having to get out your wallet. You're not thinking about it. You're not counting the cash that's left. Mm -hmm. Um, But with a closed loop system, you are setting money aside and you're putting that money directly onto your wristband. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, this is your bank account and you've, you've allocated that money specifically for this event. And, and so when people then get to the end of that, that it's a case of actually physically going into an account or logging in somewhere to actually put more, credit or, or top up on there if you will so, so so you're actually it's 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 prepay versus um yes credit in, in some respects isn't it yes yes it is and so it's prepaid so they've already thought of that money as, as spent essentially at the sure. event now that that that's just just going back to again sort of the the um, maybe two or three years ago from the, the, the last time we had these conversations in detail um on a plus side, the whole process is something that gives people far greater flexibility and, and opportunity to actually plan ahead for an event, isn't it, as an audience member? Because rather than sort of waiting until their wage lands in that particular month, they can actually um, plan well in advance to, to actually put that stuff in. Yeah, exactly. And, and we have a prepaid voucher system that we utilize. 
uh, where we put different denominations of top-up amounts on sale prior to the event, allowing event organizers to secure some of that revenue ahead of time and get an idea of what their potential top-up and spend might be. Mm -hmm. um, and then that is distributed as an e-ticket, brought to site, and then scanned and applied directly to the consumer's wristband. So sure. they are, you know, if they do have a payday where they decide they have a little bit extra money, they might be able to, to set it aside in advance for this event and, and really plan out what they're going to spend and, and how they're going to spend it. Uh, how has the um, the infrastructure that's required on on site itself um, developed, and and has that become a bit more of a streamlined process and a, and an easier thing to, to 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 deal with? So when you're actually you know d delivering your services on site at a live event site, what what is required in terms of hardware, in terms of infrastructure? Yeah, so we use um, primarily. Uh, small handheld Fomoco devices that are given to each bar staff member on a lanyard. We use mm -hmm. those for both um, for both bar sales and also top up. So right. distributing devices is is much easier than going in and installing actual hardware and terminals at mm -hmm. specific bars, um, which you know can take days and can be expensive to network and, and things like that. So this so we, is the actual touch point that somebody would touch their wristband to is actually on a lanyard around the bar staff so they're not having to reach over and touch a specific fixed point as such on a bar exactly um we've just found that to be it's it's the most cost effective it requires mm -hmm. the least amount of setup time um so then at our top-up areas typically we were we you know suggest having a network there for pdq machines so people can top up using credit cards if they want to Mm -hmm. um, but that would then be the only place where a network were potentially required just to process that, that card sure. payment. Sure. Um, and then the devices are used to apply the credit and people will walk away and are, are ready to spend. So, um, it, it's not, it's really minimal in the amount of infrastructure required, which I, I think is also an attractive piece. Is there a scenario where um, uh, somebody has bought their ticket and created a, an account as such for, for, for that particular uh, event that's relevant to them where they can actually save securely, you know, credit card or debit card details um, so that they could just log into an account and select an amount rather than actually go into a PDQ with a, uh, a card itself and topping up? Well, that's, it's, it really goes back to that voucher situation that I was speaking about earlier. Mm. Um, people, it's, it's through our Ticket Arena Event Genius platform that we sell these vouchers. So everything can be streamlined through that. Excellent. Um, when it, I suppose, when it comes to actually bringing the, um, the revenue back into the organizers, um, that's another uh, key question that I suppose a lot of organizers would, would ask is, is, is how and when does that revenue come back to me and how does it work from a budgeting point of view? Because as you said at the start of the episode, the, the, there was the, the very much the question of, of the cost of deployment with this technology when it was first muted and when it was first brought to the industry of, well, mm, how, have I, how am I going to rework my budgets in order to justify bringing this this type of service in um if if an organizer can find a sponsor for it and if they think actually no this is very worthwhile in terms of finding existing budget to deploy it how uh, how do they get the actual finances back into them and how does that that side of things work well we we are not actually collecting any of the funds besides the prepaid vouchers because right. they're running the top up and they are collecting their money on site we provide a very robust reporting suite that allows them to reconcile uh -huh. um, but that that really is 
is for them to just collect their funds. And then obviously we would settle the prepaid vouchers after. Um, right. you know, one of the pieces of RFID in this closed loop system is refunds. So mm -hmm. customers are allowed to do either on-site refunds if the promoter so chooses, where they come up and we scan their wristband and see how much money they have left and provide an actual cash refund on-site. And we right. also have a portal where people can go and apply for refunds post-event. So um, they would type in their RFID tag and their balance would be verified and then that money would be directly transferred to them via bank transfer. Sure. Do you find that statistically, um, I, I guess, sort of put myself in the scenario, if I've set aside £250 for a weekend at a festival and I've pre-loaded pre that onto a, uh, a system that's going to allow me to pay... Uh, cashlessly um i suppose in some respects that, that i'm going to make sure that i spend all of that because a lot of people's attitude will be well i've i've put that aside for the sole purpose of that weekend i, I would guess that statistically there's not a huge percentage of people who are ending up at the end of an event with funds still available in their account right no there there really aren't it just depends on the length of the of the event and and things like that you know people obviously are willing to top up more for a longer event and then a lot of our events are just single day events so they might have a little bit of money left on their on their um tag but you know it, they really are motivated to spend that money it's on there they might as well mm -hmm. um and so and and the promoter obviously wants them to spend it we you know but but if they don't their refund is possible Sure. And um, it, it, when, when we're talking about deploying it at, at an event site, I guess that the, the, common, the common scenario of, of physical interaction will be via a, a wristband. Um, if we're talking about something like a, a festival, um, if it's maybe a more business-led event, it could be incorporated within the, the attendees' lanyard. Um, the, the actual cost of those physical items now with the RFID chip incorporated within them, um, how has that uh, improved over the last you know, two, three, four years? Is, is that something that has come down in cost now and is more accessible? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just uh, there's been increased competition in the market. Um, mm -hmm. There are tons of different vendors and suppliers now who are getting into this area and that natural competition, you know, creates uh, a drop in the price. So um, I, I think that, you know, promoters look at these hard costs of wristbands and things like that and, and think that it's going to potentially break the bank when in reality, I think it's a small per attendee cost that can be offset perhaps in the ticket price or sure. in a fee maybe for the refund. Or, you know, we also have an activation fee that we can enable where the first time someone goes to top up, we hold back maybe a pound um, and that can be used to set aside for um, for the promoter to offset these costs. Sure. We've spoken a lot about the, the use of the system as, as cashless payment, but um, uh, of course it, it can do a lot more than that. You know, the, 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 the ability for the chip that's personalized to, to somebody and references somebody specifically means that you can do all sorts of different things. Um, when we talk about stuff like access control and, and, and restricting uh, access into certain areas of an event, um, we've, we've explored that possibility before. Um, again, how... How easy is, is that to deploy? And is that something that Event Genius also deal with, or is it just the payment side of things? Yeah, we, uh, we absolutely do access control. Um, you know, that was really my bread and butter before I came here. So I, I know the, um, how well it can be utilized sure. and, and how complicated those setups can get. 
um, but you know how much security it does provide to an event organizer. So yeah, um, the RFID, you know, it is enabled to do whatever we need it to do, and 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 we can definitely utilize that access control piece. When when you're utilising it for the, for the purposes of access control, does this does there still have to be quite a significant level of of uh, a human element to it, whereby somebody is in a similar way that somebody would tap their RFID chip to the bartender's lanyard to the device that they're wearing? Would they still do that to a to a steward or to a security uh, guard, or are we talking about fixed points that they would touch to and then actually provide mechanical access? Yeah, there's a human element to it at this point, um, but I think people are used to that with mm -hmm. getting their tickets scanned already. You know, there's not, it, I don't think it requires a huge amount of, of additional infrastructure. Okay, so we're talking about people actually tapping their tapping the touch point with somebody in order to gain access to a certain area. And I guess then that when we look at that scenario from an analytical point of view and a data generation point of view, by deploying this type of RFID technology into access control, you're then allowing yourself to report back on movement in and out of certain areas, which, which is going to be very useful for organizers. Absolutely. Uh, you know, just giving that general traffic flow of the festival can, can really give you insight on staffing needs and, mm. and where you need additional bartenders for your cash list, potentially. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it really gives a full sense of the movement around the event. And, and I think that that's really valuable information. Sure. Well, uh, uh, what um, uh, are you able to um, to tell us about anything that you may be uh, working on at the moment, or have worked on in the UK? And um, what what has your um, I suppose reaction since since coming over here been to to some of the organisers that you've spoken to? Um, have you seen that there is a positive uh, move towards deploying this on a wider scale? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I think, I think that things are shifting a little bit and, and people are seeing the value in it. Um, you know, we did our first RFID event in September of 2016. Right. Um, and we did, I believe, 16 festivals in the first 18 months. We're slated to do another 20 this summer so far. Um, but, you know, we have several that are tentative at the moment. So that number is only going to grow. Um, I think people are definitely getting more on board for it, and and it's it's really neat to be part of that shift. Um, we're working on a ton of different things. Um, we have a fan app that's in development that's also going to integrate RFID for um, loyalty programs and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, mobile top up, being able to top up from your mobile phone and having that directly hit your wristband the next time that you visit a bar. Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of really cool new features that that we're working on at the moment. And if uh, and if people want to find out um, uh, about the stuff that you're working on, um, tell us how they actually contact you. Yeah, absolutely. You can visit our website at eventgenius.co.uk. It'll give you a full rundown of all of our services and the best places to contact us. Mm -hmm. um, and our you know a link to be able to contact our sales team directly. Fantastic. One thing I should ask is that um, of the events that you have worked with, have any of them been exclusively cashless and, and contactless? Um, or is there a still very much a combination of the RFID systems with an element of cash in there as well? Uh, I mean, most of them are entirely, well, cashless in that we're still accepting cash at the top of stations, potentially. Right. Okay. Um, I have not seen an event that was 
exclusively 100% just card payments at pop-up and then cashless at the bars, but absolutely, you know, plenty of events where every vendor and every bar is exclusively using the cashless system. Mm-hmm. And I guess one thing that, that that we that we haven't mentioned that is that has a, a knock-on effect and a, and a positive knock-on effect is is that this this system reduces the physical amount of cash that may be on a site. And when we're talking about a large festival site, you know, we're talking potentially about hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of of cash that's having to be moved securely. So there's a cost of security, there's a cost of storage, there's a cost of you know the people to do that, the vehicles to do that the banks, the security companies that may be coming on and off site to actually move large amounts of cash and keep them secure. So these types of systems, um, whilst there may be a cost to actually deploy them, those peripheral costs are things that, 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 that organizers uh, should be potentially looking at to offset. Yes, absolutely. Um, keeping the cash in one secure location really reduces the potential for theft or you know mishandling of the cash in any way, reduces your need for security, high level security that's protecting that cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's one of the big benefits of the system for sure. Fantastic. Um, we've been talking today on the podcast to Lauren Lytle. Lauren is the head of technical operations at Event Genius um, up in Leeds. And uh, if you want to get in touch with them, I'm sure it'd be very, very easy to, uh, to, to hop on your phone, your tablet, your laptop and, uh, and find out a little bit more about Event Genius and, um, and, and what they're doing with, with RFID. As I said at the start of today's episode, it's something that we haven't spoken about on the podcast in quite a while. Um, going back to the early days of the podcast, there were a number of episodes where we looked looked at what we could potentially do with RFID. It was still very much in its infancy, but um, I know now that more and more event organizers have used it for for many, many different reasons. And and slowly but surely, I think um, we're creeping towards where we're going to see this become um, something that we see very, very regularly, the events that we're attending. So thank you very much to Lauren for being our guest today and for talking about that particular subject. Don't forget that the podcast is brought to you by our own sponsor, Engage, powered by D2IC systems winner of best event management platform at the 2017 event technology awards to learn how engage can make your business more profitable visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage um, it brings us nicely to the end of today's episode head over to eventindustrynews.com to watch a video version of this podcast if you have been listening to one of our audio only versions and vice versa if you're uh, watching us at the moment on eventindustrynews.com you can listen to this podcast on your daily commute to and from work by going over to your uh, your chosen podcast platform thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode thanks a lot goodbye mm-hmm.